0: Welcome to the Scuff Podcast, where we talk about U.S. soccer. Our guest today is Ryan March, the founder of Alternative Wales, and I'll quote from the website, the voice of the counterculture community that has grown around Welsh football, end quote. He publishes magazines and hosts a podcast that closely follows Welsh football and the Welsh national team, of course, Ryan, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, I'm excited about it. First uh, first thing I want to ask you about is a song. Uh, mm-hmm. And can you pronounce it for me? It's it's the one that was sung by the folk singer. At, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's Emma, Emma O'Heed. Emma O'Heed. Okay. Emma O'Heed, yeah. It means uh, we're still here.
0: Right. Despite everyone and everything.
1: Correct. That is the, the chorus lyric. Yes.
0: Now let me just play a clip of it cuz it's like I think that at least for me as an outsider the the videos of the stadium singing it together with the guy who wrote the song back in the 80s are pretty moving so let me just play <laughs> See the guy in the video, the guy who wrote the song, tears streaming down his cheeks as he's like leading mm. the stadium singing this. This was, I think, before the Austria game in March, but the, it was also yes. sung before the Ukraine game, the playoff. Yeah.
1: Is, yes, both games. Yeah, g- just give a, g-
0: give us the background on the song. Like, what does it mean? How long have people been singing it at soccer games?
1: So it's sort of written in the eighties uh, by a guy called David Iwan, Um, as a sort of response to. Um, Margaret Thatcher's quite um, tough government at the time, who were um, sort of imposing a lot of issues onto Welsh people. There was the miners' strike uh, which in Wales, was obviously the heart of, of, of mining at the time. So, you know, Welsh people had always suffered politically and sort of economically um, due to the UK government for a long time. And this song sort of charts that from, you know, I think there's there's literally mentions, you know, of like ancient kings and stuff and and princes in the song. And it's just a sort of a basically, I mean the, the chorus sums it up So sort of is saying, despite everything and everyone, we're still here. Um obviously there's the Welsh language as well, which plays a which plays a big part in um Welsh culture, and obviously it's in Welsh, the song is. Um and It is quite incredible, really, considering how uh, Wales has always sort of just been to the side of England. Um, There are countries in the world where languages have died because of invasions, uh, colonialism, etc. That the Welsh language still exists and is a growing language at the moment. There is an argument that people say it's dead and it's pointless to be spoken, but it is still spoken regularly by a lot of people. Not completely across the country um there's pockets here and there um you know but you will find someone in pretty much every town in wales that can speak it um but it's growing and um the song is sort of a bit of a, a statement saying you know doesn't matter what you can chuck at us and what you've thrown at us uh, from now until um you know from f- forever throughout history um it doesn't matter because we're still here and we're still going to be welsh and we're still going to do what we do. And I think it does, I think that really sort of rings true with the football team as well, because I think the football team has been through that. Um, And it has always been almost the second sport in Wales within the eyes of the establishment. And I think, yeah, the song is just a bit of a uh, a middle finger, so to say, to the uh, British establishment and uh, everyone else, really, that sort of has anything bad to say about Wales. Certainly not. I nothing bad to say about Wales here. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um,
0: but but you know, I mean, it, I, I get the sense that it's only become standard to sing it at uh, national team games mm. recently,
1: right? Yes, like yeah. So the song has always sort of been associated with Welsh football. I say associated. It was always played at games, sort of you okay. know, over the, the tanoi before uh, before matches. No one really took notice of it. I think there was obviously. Uh, again if you're from a welsh uh you know welsh speaking background you would be more aware of the song i think that it has more of a um uh you know it's part of more people's culture if you're in that welsh speaking world but i think so politically the uk is all over the place at the moment and i think there's a real strong um movement around like welsh identity which sort of manifests itself into an independence movement and Football has sort of been the face of that almost because, I mean, the whole alternative Wales thing that I started was because it was like an alternative to what the typical person sees of Wales. And, and there may be people listening to your podcast now, and there may be, you know, there's people out there that would say, what is Wales? It's like this, you know, part of England that uh, they love rugby, um, the sheep, Tom Jones, all these sort of like very stereotypical um, views of Wales. And I think it doesn't truly represent the people of Wales. And I think football has become that face and become that identity. And I think the song just encapsulates exactly what that is all about. Um, and the players have started started playing it. It was the players that sort of brought this on. Hmm. Um, and I think we'll go into sort of the, the um, connection between players and fans later on. And they would play it in the dressing room pre-match. And I think they just asked the, 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 the FAW, the Football Association of Wales, um, can we have David sing before the game? And he did in the Austria game, and it was absolutely amazing. You know, 30,000 people in that ground, all singing along, you know, and I can tell you for sure that, you know, a lot of them weren't Welsh speakers. So to be singing a song in our native language that is so, you know, is, is to some people a dying language, um, before one of the biggest football matches in Wales' history, it just resonated. And I think that's why David. You can see him crying. I was welling up, and I'm sure I wasn't the only person, because it just meant so much more than, than football. It was about national identity and finally being ourselves. And I think that's what football allows us to do, is because pretty much everything else in the world, Wales is a part of Great Britain or the United Kingdom, whereas in sport, and especially football, because football is such a global game, Wales can be itself, Wales is Wales, it's not Wales part of Great Britain, it's not Wales part of the United Kingdom, it's Wales, an independent football nation. And that's why I think going to the World Cup is such a game changer, not just for Welsh football, but Welsh society and, and Wales in general. Okay. And in, in you, you sort of
0: touched on this, but Welsh nationalism is on the rise, right? Uh, mm. I, th- I think I saw something about like 40% of folks in Wales are now
1: interested in separating from... So, n- yes, nationalism is a bit of a dirty word, and I think it has negative connotations, and I'm sure you guys in the States know all about that. Um, yeah. So it's, it's hard to sort of... But it, but it is nationalism, in a sense. It's, it's about being Welsh and being proud of being Welsh, but also being, like, Welsh and open, and sort of, like, we, we don't want to... It's not Wales for the Welsh. It's not, you know it's not this sort of like insular thing. It's what it's Wales wanted to be part of a global world as Wales. And I think since Brexit happened, and I think obviously the, the, um, the UK government just being an absolute shit show, the Scott, it, there's a movement in Scotland that has already, has been going on a little bit longer than Wales in terms of it being such a, a conversation. Um, so I think that's, and it just feels like the only viable option for Welsh people. Like for example, in wales it we've we voted labor for the last i think 100 120 years in every election we voted labor and i think in that time we've only had a labor government for like 30 years so it doesn't really because wales is so small and it holds and the way um the government is elected in the in the uk because we have such a small amount of seats in the house it doesn't right. it means that we don't we aren't really represented how we vote wouldn't you know However England votes, that's the government. And we're just sort of, we just make up the numbers. So I think there's a real sense that we don't make our own decisions and we never have. And it's, yeah, it's about, you know, let's, let's be ourselves, let's be a confident nation. And the football team embodies that and allows, and allows us to, to be an independent nation in the world. And I think that's why football at the moment is so important in Wales. Are people going to sing Emo O'Heed in Qatar? Are you gonna sing it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. They, like they, it. Will, it'll be sung on, on, you know, in the stands, without doubt. You know, and probably in the streets. And it, you know, it's it's one of our go to. It's like the unofficial national anthem now. They'll be able to coordinate and uh, and sing without um
0: yeah without the PA system pumping it out
1: yeah okay yeah 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 definitely um at least a chorus anyway yeah um you know it, it, you will hear it in the grounds without doubt cool
0: it's it's a, it's a cool it's a cool thing. I wish we had anything like that in the U S where, I mean, you know, speaking of a national identity, we have a hard time, I think as a country, even figuring out what we are at
1: this point, Mm. which, um, it's, it's very different because essentially, essentially you, you are a continent with, with loads of minor little States within it. And, you know, with 3 million people, it's a bit easy. I think it's a bit easier to have a, um, a bit more of a you know and it's very different from like you know mile to mile people are very different but i think you know it's easier to have a identity i think when you are um such a small nation and i think that's what makes us so um unique in this um and i think that's why you know we've been able to do that as fans because it's we're so compact and uh, together in that sense We'll
0: get to the U.S.-Wales game, because that's the, you know, that's what I think most people who are listening to this really want to hear about. But before we get to that, Stephen, An- Stephen Ann Arbor, Michigan, home of University of Michigan, asks, if Wales beat England, will the pubs ever close?
1: Um, it'll be a hell of a night if we do. And with it being the third game in the group, there could well be something on it. There could be, there could be a scenario where we have to beat England to go through and they get knocked out. I mean, if that happens, I'd probably just retire from watching football because it wouldn't get any better than that. Right. Um, I've never seen us beat England. I think the last time we beat them was 1984. Um, You know, we came really close at least to getting a draw in the, in the European championships in 2016. Um, We had the last laugh anyway, but yeah, I think to just to have that would just be, it would be, It's like the the final frontier for me now. I'm going to see Wales in a World Cup. I've seen us in European Championships. I've seen us beat teams like Italy and Belgium and Germany. But I've never seen us beat, you know, the old rival. And I think it would just be, it would be huge. And I think it, it also goes back to what we were talking about just then. I think, you know, for Welsh people, football is always, we've always been fed football through the media from an English perspective, because we have very few uh, independent media outlets. Another reason why we set up alternative Wales. Um, so when you listen to the radio, when you watch television, it's always from an English perspective. It's always English pundits or English presenters talking about England. They're the worst. And Wales are They're the worst. Yeah, they are. And I think there's, the, there's this, and I think now that we're, we're a pretty good side and we can compete with them, i think it's getting even worse now so it's like we've always had england 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 and it, and to actually overturn them in on the biggest stage in football and even knock them out of the world cup is just too much to comprehend for my little mind at the moment but who knows <laughs> all right
0: so so uh, you know somebody else, jack t in cincinnati a uh, uh, faithful listener asked what the what the england game will mean to wales i think you've kind of already ex- mm. answered that one yeah um so you mentioned in one of your one more sort of politics question I promise not 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 much more than this but you mentioned in one of your podcast episodes recently that the police were acting strangely around the playoff against mm. Ukraine um it, can you explain what what they were doing and what your what you think it maybe meant
1: So football in in the UK has always had a bad reputation well football fans in the UK have had a bad reputation for obvious reasons, you know, going back to the 80s and, and the 90s, you know, football violence was, you know, it was part of the culture of watching football. It happened. But it's, it's gone now. They, you know, you get the odd, you know, pocket that might happen here and there, but it's, it's, it's not in the norms. But I think that reputation has been hard to shake for the, for the football fan. And I think it was 2017, um, as the independence movement was gaining steam, and um, it was sort Welsh of, independence, I think, it, right. Welsh independence movement. Yeah, it was gaining steam, and the um, it was very much part of the fan culture. It really did become so. A group called Welsh Football Fans for Independence started setting up sort of like marches to the ground. It would essentially just be a chance for everyone to meet up in the in pregame, have a few beers, sing a few songs, and sort of walk to the ground um, with you know under the banner of independence, sort of just trying to raise awareness. Start conversation it was it it was very unconfrontational there was never any issues it was always um always went off without a hitch there was never any counter protests it was always this is the key i think there is there is elements of the independence movement like any any political movement you're always going to have a pocket of people who are sort of the bad eggs that 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 um cause issues and may not have the right idea and i think that goes back to the whole point of what is nationalism there's there is that element of the independence movement albeit small like any political movement you're always going to have a few you know bad eggs Ten yeah. um yeah and yeah so it, it's never been confrontational the whole movement it's all been about positivity it's all been about let's be Wales rather than you know like anti-english it's all it's been like pro-wales rather than anti-english or anyone else so it was very much positive and these have been happening for years. Like I said, it started in 2017. You know, five years later, it's been carrying on. And I think in the Ukraine game, everyone met up and there was a large police presence, a lot of surveillance of the fans, and um, people, people were a bit annoyed. And it was like, we've done nothing wrong. We're just here to have a good time. Um, leave us alone. You know, we've been doing this for five years without an issue. But I think the issue has stemmed from. Within these marches, pyrotechnics have been quite popular. Smoke bombs, flares, those sort of things, you know. Quite European football, the sort of stuff you'd associate with, like, ultra-culture yep, yep. in Europe. Obviously illegal in, in, in British football grounds, um, and I think probably in, in in a lot of countries now. And the FAW face large fines if they are, um, if they are let off in the ground. So I think it was a... Um, I don't think it was necessarily because of the independent stuff, because like I said, it's gone on, but it, because there was this pyrotechnics and they're really trying to clamp down on it at the moment, there is a big movement against it from the powers that be. Um, they were sort of pulling people out who were using it and taking their tickets off them from the game. I think there must be some sort of law, some sort of in the small print where you can't let it off, you know, that sort of thing within a certain radius of a ground. So the, I think that was the element, but then stuff like that sort of, it it becomes confrontational then when it's supposed to be positive, but when the police are there and it's sort of overzealous policing, I think people, you know, it almost starts problems then. And thankfully it, it, you know, there was very few problems. The fans didn't respond like the police maybe wanted them to, to sort of start a bit of a scene. Um, But yeah, it's just a shame because it was always such a positive thing um, that now it's sort of been a bit tainted. Um, i wouldn't read too much into it i think it's just the sort of the the reputation football fans come with um and you know how it's still seen by the establishment you know in cardiff for example on a match day uh on a football match day a lot of bars won't let you in after the game if you're wearing uh, a football shirt because they think you might cause trouble um but then on like a rugby day uh that's fine so i don't understand it i, th- I just think there's this reputation that football fans can't shake no matter how uh, well our fans have been, um, you know, the publicity our fans have gained in the last sort of 10, 15 years, it doesn't seem to really shake um, that reputation off. Okay.
0: Well, some people who set off smoke bombs ended up missing that game. Like they
1: didn't get to go to the game, yes. right? I mean, that's pretty- Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, it's a shame. Um, But, you know, I guess if they're, they're the laws, you've got to abide by them. But I think there's a way to do it. And I think there's a way to go about things. And I don't think it was the way it, it went down. Okay,
0: okay. How will Wales approach the game against the USA? First game, first match of the World Cup for both teams. Um, Yeah, what will be the plan? What will be the plan from a Wales perspective?
1: I think it's a must-win for Wales and the USA. I think it'll really set the tone for the group. I think both us, but both sides will probably think it's the maybe the most winnable game in the group. Um, So I think Wales have got to go for it. We saw what a good start could do in Euro 2016, and the sort of the momentum you can um, you can start there. I think both Wales and the US are probably underestimating how good Iran are. Um, I think we we we've got the, we've got the positive that we don't play England until the third game, so we can sort of we can do all the groundwork before then if we're going to get out the group. I don't think it'll be very different to how we uh, played against Austria in terms of personnel and um, uh, and style and system. It was very. It was a we play like a like a five no three four three. Let's say I think it sort of manifests itself as. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't. And I think the only change you'll what will what will be the telling difference is who he plays in the midfield to, the central midfield. If he plays Joe Allen, who should play if he's fit, we'll probably get onto him later. Joe Allen will play regardless, and it's who he lines up with. Joe Allen is sort of how we'll set out. If he puts Aaron Ramsey there and deeper, I think it's going to be we're going to try and be on the front foot because we're sacrificing him from a, an attacker position to a, afford another attacker in. What he might do is play someone like Ethan Ampadu or Joe Morrell, who are a more defensive midfielder, which would allow Aaron to be one of you sort of sacrifice an attacking player then. So I think that will be the telling point. I don't know what he's going to do for that USA game, but I think for us, for me as a fan, it's a must win. And it's quite, you know, it sounds quite harsh to put it on the first game in the group. But, um, you know, if we get three points off the bat, then, um, you know, anything can happen in that group. So we just got to get the points on the board as soon as we can. It's not going to be easy um you know there's a few american players that i th- I, th- I think the us have better individuals um you know if you were to compare the 11 f- versus the 11 and on the day i think america will come out in terms of individuals but i think what wales has is uh, they're well coached they've got a system a lot of them have played the system for a long time you know we've got some we're at a point now where we got sort of a few um centurions in that team in terms of caps We've got big caps across the side. We've got experienced players and we've got young, flair, exciting players. It's like a nice mix of both the sort of the old guard who did really well in 2016 and the best of them are still sticking around. Um, And this new, fresh, exciting crop that are coming through. And I think the FAW and the management structure have been able to keep that really good culture within the camps going. And I think that, you know, that is um, so valuable, especially when it comes to tournaments and you're sort of stuck together. Um, you know, you, you, you see the stories from every World Cup of teams sort of imploding behind the scenes. You know, I think France are, are guilty of it um, in, in, in the past. Um, and I, I don't, you, that won't happen for Wales. So it's all about the collective, whereas I think the USA is a bit more about the individual. And those individuals can hurt us by all means, but hopefully the collective and the the organization that we have will will get us over the line but i i don't know enough about the us as a team i know a lot of their players but i I just don't know how it's gonna go it's it's a real lottery this group
0: yeah i would say no even people who follow the us closely like me don't really know what we're what what kind of team we're gonna see in this you know on the in this game it's could we, we might see the team we saw in September and then Wales, Wales wins in a walk and um, we might see the team that performed better in the past. I don't know. Um, so that 3-4-3 three, three that you're talking about or sort of a 3-4-3 three, three would be what? Bale, Daniel James and... and so well... Definitely Bale, right? <sighs> Who else?
1: Well, well Bale, Bale will play regardless um, about his club form, whether he's playing much that hasn't bothered him in the past. He'll play... So I think the, there's the goalkeeper issue. Um, again, don't really mind which one of them plays. Neither of them have ever really let Wales down. The back three, Joe Rodon, who plays at Wren at the moment, on loan from Spurs. He'll be in the middle of it. Uh, either side of him... One of them will definitely be Ben Davis, obviously playing week in, week out at Spurs. Great player, probably the, the the most underrated player on our team, even though he is, you know, the one who plays Champions League football regularly. I think people still don't see how important he is. And then the other side of him, this is where it'll be interesting because it'll either be Ethan Ampadu or Chris Meppham. Chris Meppham playing uh, for Bournemouth, playing well in the Premier League. Ethan Ampadu, I think he's at um, Spazia in, in Italy, I want to say at the moment. Um... Obviously a Chelsea player, but you know what Chelsea are like. They just love to loan everyone out. Right. Um, so it'll either be Ampadu in midfield with Joe Allen and Meppham at the back or Ampadu at the back and, and, and no Chris Mepham. Um Wing backs look after themselves. You've got Nico Williams on the left, who's currently playing for Nottingham Forest. Um, you know, previously he'd played for Liverpool. Great. Probably one of our most exciting young players. I um, think this could be a really big tournament for him, uh, especially now he's playing regular football because he hasn't. For a few seasons. And on the other side, Conor Roberts, who's playing for Burnley, great player, unbelievable amounts of energy and quality. And then you've got your midfield, too. Like I said, if Ampadu's playing, it'll be Allen and Ramsey, and then a front three of um, Bale on. Well, Wait, so if, this if, is if, where, if Ampadu's this playing. This is where it gets interesting. Well, Go if Ampadu's on.
0: playing at, the, at right centre back, that has a knock on mm-hmm. effect for how you set up the midfield.
1: Yes, I would say. So if Ambadoo's playing right centre back, it'll likely mean that Aaron Ramsey will play in the two in midfield. Okay. Um, which means we're probably going to be playing more attacking because we've only got one sort of sit in midfielder, whereas Aaron Ramsey will sort of play more of a free playmaking role. Um, but if Ampadu, Ampadu can go in midfield and be like a defensive midfielder with Joe Allen, then we've got two sit in with Chris Mepp and playing at the back. Okay. The front three is where it gets interesting. So this is where the big debate is at the moment. We've sort of got four players to go into three positions at this point. And again, it depends on how they're going to go about, what sort of style they're going to go with. Um, Kiefer Moore is the the issue. Obviously, he scored two goals for Bournemouth on the weekend, six foot five, whatever he is, big old bloke, great player, you know, sort of like a really nice modern centre-forward, sort of like a budget Lewandowski, I'd say, you know, good in the air, good with his feet, you know, deceptively quick. Um, and he's playing Premier League football for the first time in his career. You know, he's 30, he was a bit of a late bloomer, came through non-league and sort of he's finally um, you know, doing it in the Premier League and has been so important for Wales since he came in about three or four years ago If we start him, it'll likely be Bale and then probably Dan James, but then the one person who misses out then is Brennan Johnson, who's been a bit of a revelation in the last year or two Had a great season for Nottingham Forest last year you know, get promotion from the championship. Um, played a lot in the Premier League this year. Um, I think he's he, he's adapting slowly. It hasn't been plain sailing for him, but he's a really, really talented lad. And it would be harsh on him to miss out. So you could see Bale through the middle and then Brennan Johnson and Dan James either side. That's how we we set up, I think, in the in the Poland game, I think. Um, or you could see Keith, Kiefer Moore through the middle and then probably Dan James on the left, Bale on the right. Yeah. That's how the front three would look. And then Ramsey would be sort of in behind, picking the passes, making the plays. Um, Joe Allen uh, sweeping everything up. And then the width comes from um, the wing backs. That's sort of how it's been for the last uh, year or so. And I can't imagine it'll be any different um, when we do kick off against the US.
0: Yeah, Harry Wilson's a, a player a lot of people will know. He's probably not yeah. going to start. You don't think?
1: Um... Probably not if everyone is fit. I don't think there's an obvious candidate to drop out there. A really good option to have off the bench. He would sort of be, for example, if Aaron Ramsey doesn't make it, obviously very temperamental with injuries. You never know between now and the World Cup if he isn't fit. He would be the sort of alternative for him to come in and play that playmaker role at the front of midfield if we're going to play a more attacking game. Um, I think that's sort of where he sits in the pecking order. Um, but, you know, it's not bad to have a player like him or Brennan Johnson coming off the bench, especially with the, the five subs and, the you know, the fact we're playing three games in, I think, like 10 days is it, or yeah. nine days. I think it works out. You know, I the likelihood is Gareth Bale, if he manages to play 390 minutes in that time, it's going to be a miracle. Same with Aaron Ramsey, you know, where they're at in their careers. So... I think this World Cup I think for everyone the squad is so important and Harry Wilson will play a part maybe not from the off but he will 100% play a part in um in the group stages.
0: Okay. Well you let's let's jump into some Bale questions because you you seem relatively sanguine about his lack of minutes. Um you know his his club in MLS Los Angeles FC is in the final of the MLS Cup playoffs. He hasn't played a part in the playoffs yet. Mm. And uh that doesn't bother you? That
1: doesn't concern you at all not, not at all no i mean look he barely played for real madrid for the last three years he was at he was at madrid he barely played um i think his love for the club game especially well his love for football and especially the club game has waned massively um since the sort of the fallout um post would have been the champions league final in 2018 was it when he scored the bicycle kick i think it sounds twenty eighteen right, yeah about against liverpool um, he should have left that summer. I think, you know, Zidane didn't fancy him, although Zidane left, came back again. It, it was never, and I think his relationship with the media and the fans, just, it, I think it killed his love for the game. And what's kept him going is Wales, and I think that's what's kept him going. And for him, this is going to be the pinnacle of his career now. You know, he may have won Champions Leagues, and he may have, may have won La Liga's and plenty of personal honours. Um, the World Cup, I think, was always his final, It was going to be his final say. And I just think for the last three or four years, he's just been managing his body through, through club football um, and sort of using them as just a way to train and sort of keep fairly sharp, have a few minutes here and there. And he, he's still done it for Wales. You know, he's not the player he once was. He's not the threat he once was. I don't think people are as frightened of him like they used to be. But you've only got to look at our playoff campaign to see how important he is for the team and what he can do. He's a very different player now. He's a dead ball specialist more than anything. But he can, he can, you know, when him and Aaron Ramsey, you know, they've been playing together for, I think they first played together in like 2008. They've been playing together for that long. And they've just got this beautiful understanding. And when they're both on song and they're both doing it, there's no better players to watch in world football. And yeah, it just, well, I, I just think he chose LAFC because it was, a, it was sort of take him out of that spotlight that Real Madrid had. There was an option to come to Cardiff, which is my team. Would have been brilliant, obviously, to see Gareth Bale play for his hometown team, my team, brilliant. But he made the right decision because obviously there would have just been eyes on him and it would have been talk. If he was doing what he's doing with LAFC, I think it would be a little bit more sour, especially how bad Cardiff are at the moment. Um, I think he went under the agreement that he could pick and choose when he wants to do these things. And I just think he's managing his body through to the World Cup because you, you, we all know how, um, you know how we can pick up these sort of horrible like niggly knocks that can keep him out for three or four weeks. And he just can't afford to do that at the moment because he doesn't recover like he used to. And I think he wants to be, you know, knowing that maybe not match fit, but hundred percent fit going into the tournament, because this is his final, this is his last dance to use a, uh, to use an American sporting term, um, where he, where he is going to sort of finish off. I guess I can't see him playing for anyone beyond this. You know, you'll probably see how his is um i think he may have an 18 month contract with lafc but whether we'll see much of him after the world cup i don't know but um it yeah it's all about the world cup for him it always has been it doesn't seem like
0: he that that we're going to see much more of him with lafc the and and they don't i don't know that there's that much sourness about it in los angeles because a because people don't pay that that much attention um and b lafc's in the final maybe he'll come on and score a mm. bicycle kick against the philadelphia yeah. union this weekend
1: because that's what he does he's a, he's a he's a moments player these days you know he he may be uh anonymous for the whole game and you may think why, why 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 are we bothering him on the pitch um and then he can just pluck something like a bicycle kick or a free kick from 35 yards out of the air and um and just win the game because that's what he does and he always has done
0: Besides Bale, because so you, you, I assume you think you're, you're going to need a, a, a couple moments from him at the World Cup,
1: mm-hmm. who who
0: really needs to play well to for you guys to get out of the group? And-
1: Joe Roden is a massive player for us. Massive. He's sort of in the middle of the back three. Um, great defender. Really good modern-day defender. He can play nice football with the ball at his feet, but when he needs to, he can throw himself into a challenge and boot it as far as he can, you know, and head everything away. Um... And I think he dictates how well that defence do between him, Ben Davis, and whoever the third man is, um, whether it's Meppam or Ampedu. I think you know, as I think the, the the old adage goes: goals win you games, and defences win you titles. And I think you know we've got to be as solid as we can be um, throughout the group stages because uh, you know, especially against a side like England or even the US, with the with the amount of attack and talent those sides have got um they're going to be pivotal in how we do um Aaron Ramsey again when Aaron Ramsey plays well Wales do well it's just just the way it's always been he's he when when he grabs a game by the scruff of the neck and he just dictates everything he is unplayable and like I said earlier when him and Bale are sort of linking up and they're working together and they're on the same wavelength it's just it's magic um Kiefer Moore is a different is another person who's a difference maker he can score goals with his head he can score goals with his feet and he's a He's a target from set plays, and I think, I think it's almost become a bit of an ugly thing to be a team that wins with set plays and set pieces, because people want to sort of see those, you know, fifty pass moves finished off with a lovely finish, you know. But he can score the ugly goals. He can score the important goals, and I think you can't underestimate that. And we haven't had a player like that for a long, long time. Even at our. Uh, like euro 2016 um pinnacle we haven't had a player who can do those score those goals like he can so i think he's really important um joe allen as well he again brings so much we haven't got another player like him he's the one i'm worried about missing most because obviously there is talk that he he won't play for swansea before um before the world cup uh so i don't know how fit he's going to be but um but he'll he's be the one where he should be there. I, Russell Martin, the Swansea manager, has said it's all about getting him there to the World Cup. Now, they've got to take their Swansea hat off and put the Joe Hallen hat on and sort of do what's best for the player. So uh, he'll be there, barring a setback, which, which, you know, no news is good news at this point. Um, he is the hardest player to replace in the team, I think. Hmm. From what he offers, Gareth Bale, for example, as great as he is, if he does drop out, we've got someone like Brennan Johnson. We've got someone like Harry Wilson, albeit not quite on the level of Gareth Bale. They are, you know, an able deputy, whereas with Joe Allen, we're looking at League One players who are going to be coming in for him. And as good as Joe Morrell has been for Wales, he just doesn't have that quality that Joe Allen does and can't sort of grab a game and control that And, control and, and game. that's like the,
0: the the central midfielder, the box to box, sort
1: of yeah. number eight. Yeah, more of a number six, I'd say okay. these days, sort of sat at the back of the fence, just sort of taking the ball, moving the ball, picking up the ball, you know ball winner midfielder and then Aaron Ramsey does the more box-to-box sort of playmaker role
0: back to the Wales USA game is Mm -hmm. uh in that 3-4-3 do you 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 said you expect Wales to go for it like what would that look like is that gonna be you know pushing forward and um trying to trying to pin the US down or what's it gonna look like
1: maybe not, I, I don't know I, I don't think we have a, a very specific style of play in terms of we're not a counter attacking team and we're also not like a, a hugely you know, front foot team Dan James will lead the press he's got all the energy, he's got all the pace and there's a few calls for him not to start in the World Cup because his club form hasn't been incredible Um, but as well, he he plays such an important role tactically Um, and I think when, you know Teams, especially teams who like to play out from the back, he is massive in terms of pressing them in and keeping them in. Um, I think it's very much uh, you know, if Kiefer Moore starts, for example, it's going to be a lot of crosses um from the wing backs, you know, getting the balls out to them, um, and sort of almost using the pace of those two and Bale and Dan James. Um, yeah, I think there'll be there'll be moments of, of pressure, it, w- it won't be like a constant barrage. It'll be Wales will, will be very sensible about it and pick their moments to to sort of um, push at the US and when they're most vulnerable. Um, but you, yeah, you can't discount how good the US are going forwards. So we can't we can't be all guns blazing because we need to be able to um, uh, make sure that we're still solid at the back as well. So it'd be a nice balanced game, I imagine, from Wales. The US has um, has struggled in
0: a couple high profile instances against a high press, like against Japan in Mm. September and against Mexico back in 2019. But for the most part, the problems the U.S. has attacking have come against teams that sit back. They just have Mm. not been able to figure out how to unlock a set defense. So I I think a lot of U.S. fans would say, well, if Wales isn't going to sit back, that's probably good for us,
1: you know? Mm. I think that's been our problem as well is when teams do sit back and are a bit more solid and organized we do struggle we need you know we we benefit from games that become open because we got that pace of the of the forward players um so I I you know Rob Page and the coaching staff will will have watched you know, hundreds of US games by now, or tens at least, and I'm sure the US coach staff have watched plenty of Wales. And I think, you know, they'll, they'll be coming up with a way to play against them that allows us to attack, but also be very solid defensively. Um, so that we're hard to break down. Um, so it, it, I think it's one of those games where it's going to be won by a moment of magic or something. You know, you know you've, got, you've got players who can do that. You know, Pulisic is capable of that. Um, Gareth Bale is capable of that. Many of our players are capable of that on both sides. So I think it, it could just come down to one of them um rather than it be i, I can't imagine being like a 3-2 sort of goal fest and i think the whole group is going to be it's going to be very binary i think it'd be a few one nils and nil nils yeah um going on throughout the whole group so um yeah we may have to rely on a moment of magic and i'm fine with that as long as we get the win
0: alec in connecticut asks um as wants you to talk about the threat that Ben Cabango brings on set pieces is okay. it's a player you haven't mentioned yet, so I don't I'm not sure he's even going to see the field, but
1: um, he won't start if everyone's fit. Yeah. He'll he, he'll likely be going. He's playing very well for Swansea at the moment in the Championship. Um, he's had a few issues, I think maybe attitude problems. I'm not sure if Page has been a massive fan of him as a as a, as a character. I think hopefully he's, he's he's sorting that out now and is is um his uh performances at club level are doing the business and he's one of the few players at club level who are playing regularly and playing well regularly so he'll be on the plane he'll be in the squad um he'll likely he'll unlikely play much football i imagine unless there's injuries um or or, or, um you know uh, fatigue again He's a big lad. He, he he can score goals and has done for Swansea. He scored all sorts of goals for Swansea. He scored with his feet. and scored with his head. So he does bring a threat. But I can't imagine he's going to get um, a lot of game time. Okay. Uh, in this World Cup, he's young and he's one of them. I think will benefit from the experience. And then he'll he'll be a big player for us um, in the future, without doubt.
0: I mean, maybe another one in that category is Ali Cooper. Uh, you guys were talking about him mm. on a recent podcast. I he scored he scored what like four or five goals in the last month or something like
1: that. Yeah, I think so. Um see he's a really interesting one. He's a really interesting one and I think if we were going into any other international window he'd be in the squad. Robert Page likes consistency throughout his team. He'll pick players that may not play um at all just based on the fact that they're all about the attitude behind the scenes and the characters. Ollie Cooper hasn't featured at all in a Wales squad before. He's very much a breakout season. And I say breakout season, it's almost been a breakout month for him. He's timed it amazingly well. Um, he did really well on loan at Newport County in League Two last season. And he's very much an import- going to be an important player for us going forward. Whether the World Cup may come too soon? Possibly. But he may be one of those that benefits from a couple of injuries. To someone like Joe Allen in midfield, and he may be a bit of a wild card that goes on the plane again, unlikely to feature too much. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a bit of a shame for him that it's come now. If he'd be if he'd had the month he's had uh, the month or two he's had going into the September fixtures, he probably would have likely had a run in the squad, maybe played one of the Nations League games, and Rob Page could go, okay, we want him to be part of our our World Cup squad, but. There is a bit of a competition for those sort of fringe player places. Um, And based on club form, absolutely. But Rob Page likes to have this sort of consistency throughout um, his squads. And I just think that may um, hinder him slightly. But I'd like to see him go because you can't discount someone who's playing well, especially with the the nature of this World Cup, where it's going to be, we literally finish club football next weekend. And then sort of, what is it like? I think 12 days later, the first game is. So, you, you know, people in form and have momentum, playing well, are going to be the maybe the standout players in this World Cup. So, who knows? I I I don't know at the moment, but I'd be happy to see him go, and I wouldn't be too um too annoyed if he doesn't go. That was 2016 when
0: Wales made the run at the Euros, right? And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. I mean, Bale, Allen, Rams, and Ramsey were on that team for sure, right? Who is was anybody yeah. anybody else in this?
1: Ben Davis, okay, Um, he was there. Uh, Wayne Hennessy and Danny Ward, both our goalkeepers were there. Both played. um, uh, Chris Gunter played a big role. He'll be at the World Cup, whether we'll see him play. He was sort of one of them ones. He's on like 108 caps. Um, He's sort of seen as the team DJ. He's Aaron Ramsey's best mate. You know, he's he's, he's, he's played the most ever games for Wales. Uh, Currently playing in League Two for Wimbledon. He'll be there. And I think, benefits from the 26-man squad because he's such a good and important character in the dressing room. And I think you can't discount players like that just because they may not be as talented as some others at the moment. I think when you're stuck in a hotel together for two or three weeks, um, having someone like Chris Gunter there is massive. So he went to the Euros um, and he will go to the World Cup. Um, Maybe we won't see him this time around. Uh, Maybe he'll have a game towards the end of the group if we are rotating, say if we've done the job by then um you may see him but um yeah he's gonna be there almost in like a like a player coach role almost i think you know and he's massively important uh johnny williams is the other one who was at euro 2016 again was a bit of a fringe player then still a bit of a fringe player now also in the chris gunter role very popular amongst the squad very well liked um and can offer something maybe a bit more than chris gunter can offer off the bench he's actually scoring goals albeit in league two he's one of the only players you've got that is scoring quite regularly at the moment so again you can never discount someone like that um and i think because of that extended squad now rather it being 26 rather than 23 we can afford to take two players like that who were at Euro 2016 and have been a big part of the team over the last sort of decade or so um to come along and sort of be a positive impact on the squad so i think i'm not missing anyone else i think they're the only remaining um year 2016 players but arguably they were always our biggest players anyway
0: and gunter gunter is one of the ones who was instrumental in getting emma oh played at the yeah stadium right? See,
1: he's he's the dj in the dressing room he's always sort of he's the one who runs all that so he's he's very zoned in on you know the culture and the the the, the link with the fans he's who's behind me there um a painting by it was the third goalkeeper that went to Euro 2016 Owen Fon Williams. Uh, he's also a painter in his spare time. And at the end of the England game, when we'd lost 2-1, he came over to the Wales fans and did like a chin up gesture uh-huh. to sort of say we we we've got more to go. And I think it just became like iconic. And that's a painting of it there. Huh. Um, so yeah, and a very iconic player. Uh, not the not the most gifted footballer by all means, not the most flashiest of footballers, but he's always never let Wales down. And like I said, he's he's played the most games ever for Wales. I think he's on 108 at the moment. Uh, Bale's on 107, so he'll likely uh, jump over him in this tournament. But uh, yeah, a massive, massive person on and off the pitch for us in, in Welsh football history. Interesting, the the chin-up gesture, because
0: it's I, the second time I've seen that in a week. The, la- <laughs> the other time I saw it was um, Frank Lampard giving that gesture to Robert Green after he led in that howler against the USA.
1: Oh, right, okay.
0: Yeah, it was a little yeah. different situation. I don't think it's quite yeah. as <laughs> hopeful. Yeah. Um, let's see. Who, who on, you know, aside from Pulisic, who I'm sure you're f- somewhat familiar with, um, who on the US roster concerns you? And, and you can, you can answer that question however you want, but w- one possibility is answered in terms of talent. Another is how mm. that player will match up against Wales.
1: So, Gio Reyna, is sort of the obvious one, you know, playing really well for Dortmund, very, you know, young, exciting player. Um, He's an obvious one. Is Weston McKenney gonna be fit? I read somewhere that he might have picked up an injury. Is he gonna go? Yeah, he
0: I think he will be fit. Um he's he's they said he was out for fifteen days. That was like three mm. or four days ago. Um, okay. And he typically comes back from injuries really fast. I know it's kind of a weird mm. thing, but it is it seems to be the
1: Yeah. The pattern with him. What what worries me most is that midfield, because obviously you got Tyler Adams, who's been a bit of a revelation at Leeds. Um, Weston McKennie and what's the other guy? Is it Acosta? Yunus Musa.
0: He's actually, Brit- he's actually British-American, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so is Reyna, I think he might be born in Britain. I think he was, yeah. His dad played for in Sunderland in at the time. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that midfield three, I feel like they're a really nice unit. And I think that's where we're sort of weakest in depth. And especially then if Joe Allen doesn't make it. And we are having to play someone like Joe Morrell or Ampadu in midfield, then they could be overrun. Um so yeah, I, I think it's those 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 wingers and that midfield are probably the, the, the biggest threat um at the moment, especially if we play in wing backs and they're getting high. If they can get in behind them and test our um, I wouldn't fancy going up against Ben Davis, but the other side may be a little bit weaker. Ampadu as great as he is, he 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 may be a little bit, you know, he's not not quite Ben Davis level. Um although Mepham's having a great, great season for Bournemouth at the moment. Um so he may be staking a claim. So yeah, I th- I think that's that's where what worries me, what doesn't worry me so much is like the defense and the goalkeeper situation. That, that that does um um fill me with a bit more hope going into this game. As it should,
0: yeah. Somebody wanted me to ask you, does uh, does a center back pairing of Aaron Long and Walker
1: Zimmerman strike fear into you? I couldn't tell you much about them as players, um, which probably sends, uh, says to me that, uh, no, it shouldn't strike fear in me. Um, we've, played, we've played better against better defences, so fingers crossed. Um, you know, we can test that defence. Um, and hopefully Zach Stefan is number one, because I have not seen him play well ever. Um, although I think you mentioned to me on the podcast we did last week that he likely won't be, but um, I, I'll cross my fingers on that one.
0: Yeah, it'd be good for you if he was um, started. Against Wales, yeah, yeah, he's he's been a mess. Although I actually think he's been playing. To be fair, he's been playing better lately.
1: Um, I guess he's actually playing regular football now, which is massive for a goalkeeper. Because I mean, he had quite an obvious mistake against Liverpool in the FA Cup semi-final last season, didn't he? Which um, was a bit of a disaster. But these things happen to goalkeepers, don't they? I think that you shine a light on on those things to some uh, more than others. It's so important. Yeah. (sighs) Exactly.
0: All right, let me ask this. Dallin in New York City asks, if the World Cup 2022 was a competition of cuisine from each respective country, what are you sending to represent Wales? Does it stand a chance against the American Krispy Kreme cheeseburger? I, For the record, I do not know what that is.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds horrific, a Krispy Kreme cheeseburger. It sounds dreadful. Uh, I'm very much not one to mix sweet and savory, Mm -hmm. so that can... um... That might go out in the group stages in in a Cuisine (laughs) World Cup for me. Um, But what's the Welsh... It's it's a tough question.
0: What's the quintessential Welsh food, you know?
1: It's difficult because I think we've been gentrified... I live in Cardiff, we've been sort of gentrified to hell in terms of, you know, it's all just chain restaurants. But I think if if you were talking uh, a typical Welsh meal, cowl is always mentioned, which is the Welsh word for, like, soup or stew. Um, Just like, usually, lamb. uh, Obviously, a lot of sheep in Wales. So it's usually lamb meat with veg. Um it's very nice nice on a on a cold winter's evening. Um I wouldn't be rushing out of the shops to buy it, it isn't full of flavour. Um, but lovely enough. Welsh rarebit is another one, it's sort of like um cheese on toast, but uh, on steroids. It's like um I think there's a there's a there's like a blend, uh, like a mustardy kind of um Worcester sauce blend that goes mm. into the cheese. Um, and that's beautiful. That is really nice. Um, but I don't think we can compete with the Italian... Italy aren't going to the World Cup, so I'll take that no, back. No, no, uh, the sp- no. <laughs> the Spains or the Japans of this world, I don't think we could quite compete on that front there. Oh, yeah. yeah. Although the Welsh yeah. cake would have a I'm good go. Level. The Welsh cake would have a good go. They're, um, That's a beautiful thing, the Welsh cake. Um, So... Uh, which, which what is, is like Welsh Flats. So there's like a flat... On, I guess, with like raisins in and like a nice icing sugar. And when they're warm and they're soft, they're absolutely, absolutely beautiful. So, um, yeah, I think they'd be a, they'd be a good, um, they'd, they'd do well. I think they'd get out of the group stages, but I don't think they'd get far in the knockout rounds compared <laughs> to some of the other, um the other countries. Yeah. Okay.
0: And I I wanted to ask you what you think of Welcome to Wrexham. And I'll say I mm. saw the, you know, I would see previews every now and then I thought, I'm not going to watch that. And then one of my... Uh, an aunt of mine who doesn't even really care about soccer. She told me she knows I have a podcast. She said, you should watch mm. it. and So I, I trusted her recommendation. I watched the first four or five episodes. Kind of liked it, actually. I don't know. Have you seen it? What do you think?
1: Yeah, I've seen it all. I've got plenty of fr- friends who are Wrexham fans. Uh, a guy we do the um, podcast with, Tommy Kouse, big part of what Alternative Worlds is all about. He's a big, big Wrexham fan, and his face does pop up once in, in, in later episodes. Um it's brilliant. I'm really pleased and how on uh, how well they've done with it. Um, obviously, it was released not long after the Arsenal All or Nothing, which I found incredibly boring. Um, went in with the expectation that it was clearly aimed at an American audience. I think they almost explained football to an American audience throughout. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, I understood a lot of the stuff they were already talking about. But I think what they managed to do and what is special about it and what makes Wrexham special and what most football clubs in Wales and and the UK in general are special is the people um that's why I found that Arsenal thing so boring it was just like Mikel Arteta terrible team talk players not really any characters or very bland sort of you know nothing happened whereas very little football I think maybe that's why your aunt enjoyed it so much because you know not being a football fan because it was about the community and and um they did a really good way they they did really well at explaining wales to an american audience that other people haven't been able to do um and i think yeah it's just really massive help in terms of wales on the world stage and you know mi- mix that with the world cup is great and i just think they did a really good job of it um it's such a it's such a great story and such a unique story and i think um everyone was quite you know in Wrexham and wales in general were um We're quite right to have reservations about them coming in, you know, big, big famous owners, you know, foreign owners in the UK are are, are sort of frowned upon a little bit, even though everyone has one now um, because of the sort of the influence they're trying to have on the game um, over here, especially American owners in the Premier League. Not very popular Um, and sort of the Americanization of of football in in, in England and, and the rest of the UK is a worry. Um, you know we've we've sort of blazed a trail in how it all works you know the football league pyramid is a unique beautiful thing and I think that sort of threat to that um, is a problem yeah. so I, I, I had the reservations about it and the fact that they were going to use it as just this nice big PR exercise but they won me over straight away you know I have a soft spot for Wrexham a Cardiff fan but obviously Wrexham's in North Wales and for so long they sort of haven't been in the football league and I'd love to see them do well I had loads of friends there and I just think they're a really unique club in their position so I, you know, I am, um, always keep an eye on what they're doing. You know, they're almost like a second or third team for me. So had my reservations, but I think they've, they've actually smashed it. They've, they've, um, they've come in and they've, uh, embraced what makes Rexham special. They haven't tried to change anything. They haven't tried to, um, sort of put their own stamp on it. They've just taken what they can find and they're just really good at that PR marketing stuff. And I think the documentary shows that. And, um, yeah, the characters and the people around the football club are what makes these football clubs so special. And they've captured that. And I think they've done a really good job. And um, yeah, I thoroughly recommend anyone to watch it. And I don't think you very much need to be a football fan to enjoy it because it's not very football heavy. It's more like a, a story about people in a town. Um, yeah.
0: Is, so Wrexham is, I mean, it's you, you learn in the documentary pretty, pretty quickly that Wrexham was a big club in Wales at one mm. point. Is it still yeah. pretty well known? Yeah, I mean, like everybody knows about it. Oh.
1: Everybody yeah. yeah, so there's obviously there's five there's five teams that play in the English system in Wales. Uh Cardiff, Swansea, obviously the, the two most well known ones. Swansea, especially who had such a, a long run in yeah. the Premier League. I think it was seven or eight seasons in the end. Um also owned by Americans. Um Cardiff City, again, been up and down a couple of times, um playing the championship. You have Newport County. Who are a smaller club than Wrexham because Newport's only 15 miles from Cardiff, so they suffer from that. And then Merthyr, who are um, I think they're in like the eighth tier, maybe ninth. I stand to be corrected. Sorry, Merthyr fans. So there's um, only five. So there's only five clubs in the. There's only country. five. Huh. No, we have our own domestic league then called the the Cymru Premier or the Welsh Premier League, um, which feeds into Europe. So we have uh, smaller sides that that suffers because most people do watch the English, the teams who play in England. Mm-hmm. uh in terms of crowds but there there's hundreds of clubs across the, the 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 country but Wrexham are the only team in the north so they benefit massively from they have a huge catchment area um if if people want to watch professional professional football that is that is where you watch it and i think they're unique in that because because they they have that huge catchment area that pretty much spans all of the north of wales and most of mid wales as well um and uh, yeah they they're a massive club they still get you know they get the biggest crowds in the league they're in you know they 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 in terms of where they would sit in like a in a um if you would sort of order it by how big football clubs are they'd definitely be sort of like championship maybe top of league one um if you were to sort of do it like that they are 100% underperforming and I think that's why it was such an interesting um, project for the for, for Ryan and Rob to go in and um and uh sort of try and chase that dream that they've been trying to do for, for years but bad ownership and lack of funds i think they, they they found themselves down and out um and i think it's a football club that has huge potential and could well you know i wouldn't wouldn't shock me to see them in the premier league in sort of 10-15 years with the right guidance um because they, they've got the fan base for it 100 percent. i hope they do i hope they, so spoiler
0: alert mm-hmm. for anybody who's watching the show right now it's they didn't get out of they didn't get out of um the national mm. league they were close but they didn't mm. get out right did they I'm, I'm asking you for a spoiler for me did have they built the <laughs> have they built the new cop the new um
1: not yet they are um i think they may be in the process of slowly taking the current one down uh it's a very slow process. I don't know obviously they, they mention it in the um documentary, the sort of the land laws and that go back to like the fourteen hundreds and stuff like that they is do. um they do mention that, yeah. is uh you know I, I don't think you you can just have sort of bulldoze it and start building it the following day, so it is in process um and when that happens, you know they're gonna get probably sixteen seventeen thousand seats of stadium. They will fill that if they carry on on the trajectory they go in. Um, they're having a really good season, unfortunately, they aren't running away with it because Notts county uh are sort of taking them game by game at the moment, and they are edging them out but um, yeah, it'll be another interesting season for them um and if they don't go up this season, it'll be very interesting to see how the owners play it next year because they can't keep throwing money at it. I imagine if they aren't gonna start going up so keep yeah. an eye on that one it'll be no, it good for the narrative season.
0: arc either if they don't
1: yeah go up. Um, no exactly i I think i think they needed for the documentary and financially yeah what's your impression
0: of those two guys um because the the documentary is definitely about rexham and the club it's also Mm. about those you know to a certain extent about those two individuals what's your impression
1: yeah they they've massively massively impressed me as human beings um i think they're very they're very measured i mean rob especially has really really thrown himself into it he lives and breathes it I didn't know much about him before. I'd never watched Always Sunny or anything like that. So he was a bit of a new character to me. So I didn't really have much of a um, an idea of what he was like. Ryan Reynolds, everyone, everyone had always spoken about him well. So again, it wasn't like sort of a bad guy from Hollywood coming in and, um, and buying it. It was sort of two well-liked people. So they come across really well. They don't, there's a fine line between this sort of self-deprecation um, that Welsh people have um and then just downright taking the piss out of Wales which people don't get right and they've got it right they they they're very good at sort of um being on that right line where they can have a laugh about Wales and sort of have a little bit of a uh, but not at Wales's expense i think it's sort of laughing along with us whereas i think other people could have come in and just immediately pissed everyone off because um we're quite touchy like that as as going back to the um you know the Heed thing we've had a lot of a lot of people do that um for a long 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 time, so um I'm really glad they haven't done, they've embraced the Welsh language they've embraced Welsh culture. I just think they're they're really um important um and yeah massive for the football club and they do mention in the documentary that they can't really become bad guys because they can't go and hide, you know they can't be like this sort of just businessman who can sort of right. disappear off into like the Alex into the night, yeah if it goes wrong, you know they've still got to build a career so um so yeah they've got to tread lightly and i think they've done a brilliant job so far so uh what will be interesting to see is if if things start going wrong um that's when things will you know they'll be tested the the worry the other worry is from what i gather from rex and fans is sean harvey isn't very well liked um, who's the CEO or the oh, CEO, the guy. the guy they brought in, the bald guy. He's got a, came with a bad reputation. Uh, he was in charge of Leeds for a long time. Leeds fans hated him. He was in charge of the English Football League. Didn't like him. Huh. Uh, he's a very sort of typical English boardroom football guy. And I think he's a bit, you he's making that. a few questionable, few questionable decisions. I think maybe important for what Rob and Ryan are doing it, to have someone who's been there and done it. But yeah, I think, He's the sort of person who could turn the fans quite quickly. Uh, I don't think he's well liked uh, within football circles. So uh, he's an interesting character, and I, I I I can't say too many good things about him.
0: Okay, I thought it was just watching it myself. I thought seeing Rob McElhaney's um, childhood home kind of mm. was. I felt like that was important in the mm. first episode because because Ryan, Ryan Reynolds is kind of this um, I don't know, fancy guy, you know. He's fancy. Uh yeah. But McElhaney's definitely much more of a like a regular guy. And uh mm. and to see his childhood mm. home and see Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia is uh you know, it's a tough place and mm. I don't know. I thought that I think was-
1: that's why they chose <laughs> Wrexham because because I had these parallels between um you know, between Philadelphia and Wrexham. I think I and I get that you're very working class post industrial right um places where are that have fallen on hard times. So uh, so yeah. Yeah, really impressive both of them and Rob especially he he's, he's been a revelation. All right.
0: Well, um let's see. Can you give me a predi- prediction on the game? What do you think what do you think's going to happen? I think we talked about this a week ago, but
1: I, I don't know. I, it's so hard to make a prediction, but i got yeah. to back Wales. Let's say... You know what? Let's not, let's let's not, say two, not make a prediction. 2-1. 2-1, <laughs> <Two, one>. okay. <laughs> yeah, I, like I... 2-1 Wales, maybe. I don't know. I'm saying that to say something. I, I right. really don't know how it's going to go. I'm so excited because of that. I just, you know, I'm going in with almost like no expectations. I'd like us to do well, but I also think there's a very good chance we could go out in the groups because it's such a horrible group um, in terms of that. I think it's going to be a really interesting... You know, there's a chance I think all of us could have like four points by the end of the group. You know, it's one of them groups that could very much everyone right. can beat everyone, and um, especially with how bad England have been recently, I think that that really adds an interest in um, an interest in uh, dynamic to the group.
0: Well, I think we can all agree that we want England to um, not yes. get out of the group, right?
1: yeah yeah if, if they don't get out of the group and whales do and i don't care who comes with us then <laughs> I, i'm uh, i'll be a very very happy man okay ryan thank
0: you very much um i'll put a link to your podcast and website in the show mm-hmm. notes um people can find you there uh thanks everybody for listening we'll see you